Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the Jayberg Wilk Learning Series. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion, but we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Rosh Chodesh, to talk about the feminine, to me, this is divine providence. <coughs> Rosh Chodesh Shvat, the new moon beginning the new month of Shvat. It's the optimal time to honor the heart and wisdom of the feminine. From ancient times, until today, the time of the new moon was an auspicious and special time for women. They weren't supposed to work. They were to, supposed to get together, gather, sing, dance, learn, be together, and open to the new energy of that upcoming month. This custom of women gathering at the time of the new moon has become widespread. Hundreds and thousands of women of all faiths gather at the time of the new moon in much the way that women did in ancient times. The first commandment in the, in the Bible, in the Torah, was to sanctify the new moon, offering the Jewish people an opportunity to participate in the creation of time. The Jewish calendar begins with the new moon, ushering in the new month and spiritual opportunity for that month. And Kabbalah says, just as there are fluctuations in the physical weather, there are fluctuations in the spiritual weather each month. And what a person opens to at the time of the new moon shapes what is going to happen to them in the course of that month. So it's also considered a, a mini Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. So certain prayers are said. It's a special time for men and women. I want to do just a little brief meditation before we get into the content. So if you can just close your eyes for a moment and take a few deep breaths. Inhaling from the abdomen. And just taking a moment to let go of any tension, any stress. So that you can be present for this moment. And 
and be aware that we are meeting at the auspicious time of Rosh Kodesh, Shvat, and Shvat marks a hidden and mystical time of new beginnings. This is the month of renewal. It's the month to go deep inside and contact the creative energy within you. So allow this to be a time of opening to a new beginning. And just silently to yourself, just say, yes, I'm open. I'm open to the new beginning. I'm open to allow new potential within myself to come forth. So we say yes. Say yes. And if you want to say it out loud, yes. 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 And let's take a moment energetically to make a connection to the women in our lives, our mothers, our sisters, our grandmothers. and energetically making that connection to biblical women. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, Bilhah and Zilpah. So preparing to open your eyes can open our eyes and just make some eye contact. And since we're a small group, could we just take a moment to say our name? And if you can identify a quality of the feminine that you think is feminine, I think this will be interesting. So if you could say your name and a quality of the feminine. Surely creativity. Creativity. Um. Nurturing, yeah. Jennifer, strength. Yeah. Um, Sarah, um, experiencing Shaheen. Resilient. Sharing strength. <clears throat> Myra, empathy. Yeah. You know, I have to tell you, I have the chills <laughs> because you, each of you identified such a beautiful quality of the feminine. And we don't always think of the feminine as strength, but that came through and Kabbalistically. The feminine is about Gavura, 
It's the strength, uh, it's the feminine that sets boundaries. But it's also the feminine that's the nurturer and the connector. And it's easier for a woman, in a way, to embody the divine feminine, to embody the Shrina. I entitled this A Time to Honor the heart and wisdom of the feminine and to honor women. And it's lovely to see that men are here honoring women. A woman was chosen to be a co-creator with the divine because a woman has greater sensitivity. So she becomes the vehicle through which life comes through. And as such, she's very connected to others and she's connected to the earth. And in addition to being a vehicle for the physical, emotional, and spiritual birth, she is also a person who can birth new consciousness of connectivity. The world looks for women, towards women to bring this connectivity in the world. But we see that the feminine values, the feminine energy is not the dominant energy at this time in our world. The Talmud, and I gave you this, you know, it's a, it's a well-known story and I don't want to go into it too much, in the Talmud, the Talmud wrestles with this, trying to understand what is the origin of gender disparity? Why is there a discrepancy between the sun, which is the ma metaphor for the masculine, and the moon, the metaphor for the feminine? And the Talmud goes and explains that one time they were the same. They both shone with equal light. But then the moon, the, this is what's so interesting. In the Bible, it says, and God made two great lights, the great light to rule by the day and the small light to rule by the night. So how do we understand this verse? There are two great lights and then equal, and then without any explanation, one is called great, and the other is small. What happened? So there's a lot to go on. And you know, unfortunately, I would love to speak for like seven hours, eight hours on this subject. Um, but I, I, I know that I didn't have time. You know, so I sent, I copied this, and as well as my thoughts. Welcome. Um, as well as my thoughts about how this, how this occurred, why there was gender disparity, what its purpose was, and how it becomes corrected in the future, because it was never considered to be the ideal. The Talmud is acknowledging that it exists and there, that there's a process by which the 
equality and mutuality between the genders is restored. So you can study this later. Um, but as we know that we live in a time where the feminine values are not supreme. And we have to appreciate that for thousands of years, our institutions, our religions, our educational systems, our corporations, our professional practices have been largely shaped by men for men. Men and women alike have been educated to think in a masculine linear fashion. And because women want to succeed, they think like they think like men, they act like men, they even dress like men. Because that's the way to succeed in the world. But even though they may be women may be successful, it's likely that they will not feel totally fulfilled unless they're able to embrace and embody the feminine part within them. There's an interesting book by Barbara Annis called Gender Intelligence. And she develops this and she says that a lot of women leave corporations because they can't they're not able to embody their feminine intelligence, their heart and wisdom. Our concepts of God remain primarily patriarchal. Everybody's always talking about our Father in heaven. We're looking up. We're looking up when we, when we pray to God. And it's true. God is beyond us. If there is a father, is there not a mother? <laughs> we don't talk about the mother except in Jewish renewal and in Kabbalistic circles. We hear very little of the divine feminine. The most prime, important prominent teaching within Judaism that I just want to take a moment to emphasize is that there is one God and God is one. God has both a masculine and a feminine face. The primary face of the divine masculine is this God that's beyond the world. We call him HaKodesh Baruch Hu, the Holy One, blessed be he. In Kabbalistic, it's Zeron Pin, referring to certain spirot. And that's because masculine energy generally stands outside of nature. Masculine energy is about conquering. It's about bestowing goodness, doing good, and fighting evil. The divine feminine is the imminence of God. The shrina, or a higher form, is called the ima, the divine mother. And this is the revelation of godliness in our midst. Feminine energy <coughs> is about receptivity, 
listening, being present, being, revealing and embodying godliness rather than doing, <coughs> accomplishing. And what is what I've noted with some women, I was talking to somebody, her her the women have become so identified with doing and working that they think if they're not doing and working, they're nobody. But that's that's the opportunity for a woman to truly get in touch with her beingness as a woman. But when necessary, the feminine energy is very strong and will defend what is precious in whatever way she can. And I'm thinking of, of Yael and Yehudis who seduced and beheaded enemies of Israel. To heal ourselves and the world, we must become more aware of the divine feminine, the godliness, the presence of God within ourselves and within the world, because this will restore harmony and balance. It's the masculine energy that underlines all the technological advances. Technology is about harnessing and conquering nature. And we live in a very highly technological world. And we have a high standard of living. And we have many opportunities to communicate. Nevertheless, in spite of this, more people today are suffering from depression, isolation, loneliness, addiction, due to the fact that we don't have nurturing, loving families and communities where people feel nurtured and loved unconditionally. We're addicted to our cell phones, our computers, me too, Facebook. We have all our virtual communities, but we're lacking intimate communities. And this is because the feminine energies on high, the Shekhinah, and within us have been devalued. The state of our relationships um, reflect this imbalance between the masculine and feminine with high divorce rates. More people are single want to be married. More people who are married want to be single. And we don't find so many examples of loving relationships. But the devaluing of the feminine has more terrible consequences. And I just want to speak a moment just about rape, murder, without going into details, but recent studies in Europe say one-third to one-half of the women in Europe have been raped. And those statistics may be even higher because a lot of rape victims will not report. And that this is a crisis, I feel, that is not getting any attention. And the U.S. is not far behind. What we have to 
be hopeful because our prophecies tell us that it will be better. The prophet Isaiah tells us that in the messianic time, the light of the sun will shine. The light of the moon will shine like the light of the sun. The light of the masculine and the feminine will become equal and unified. This imbalance between the masculine and the feminine will be corrected. And when that happens, according to Kabbalah, there's going to be peace and harmony in the world. The rabbis in the Talmud taught that it is only in the merit of the women that the Jewish people were able to leave Egypt in ancient times. And there's many examples that are given to explain the merit of the Jewish woman. She didn't give her gold to the golden calf. She didn't believe the spies. Many things that attest to her merit. And the rabbis also said that it will be the women who will lead the world forward to the messianic age. Quote, the final redemption will be due to the righteous women of that generation. So the world needs us women to come forward to restore harmony and balance. And my question is, where will this essential female leadership come from if women do not claim their voice and their power as women? Many women like myself are seeking models of empowerment beyond feminism. We do not want to imitate or compete with men, but we want to use our unique gifts as women to bring healing and balance to the world. We know that we as women have an important role in healing our families, communities, and the world. Where do we find these teachings of feminine empowerment needed to restore harmony and balance? Women, we don't have those ancient books like the Talmud written by women. Women did not write books like men until recently. Men are constantly studying these books because they were written by men for men. But it, it occurred to me that true feminine empowerment cannot be written down. It's an oral transmission. And we create this anew each time when women are getting together with women or when women are in leadership roles and teaching the feminine. Feminine empowerment is this oral transmission transmitted from a mother to a daughter and in groups of women and with groups with female leadership. For many of us who were impacted by feminism, like myself, we devalued the feminine. I wanted to be out there in the working world. And I ran from one rabbi to another and, and 
was talking to Sarah Leia, Leia I went to a, a conference and they wanted to teach me how to make challah. And I said, no, I don't want to do that feminine stuff. Teach me Kabbalah. And, uh, but it took, when my mother died, I, I realized that my mother was running everywhere to learn from this man and this man. And I realized, ah, it was my mother who was my primary spiritual teacher. She was the one who could transmit to me feminine empowerment. And it took me a while longer to realize that biblical women had something to teach me about feminine empowerment. Before I wrote my book, The Secret Legacy of Biblical Women, I had accepted the traditional perspectives. Eve brought evil and death into the world when she ate from the tree and she gave it to Adam to eat. Sarah, she caused the rift between the Arabs and the Jews when she sent Ishmael away. Rebecca's deception triggered the hatred that Christian, Christian the world has to the Jewish people. So I really wasn't that interested in biblical women. I wasn't interested, I was interested in Kabbalah, meditation, prayer, but not biblical women. Then one day, you know, we have these transformational moments. I'm sitting at the Kalbach show, the rabbi's giving uh, afternoon class on the Torah portion, Hayasara, which deals with the death of Sarah, the life of Sarah, but it begins with an account of her death. And I heard the teaching of how Sarah died. The truth is, I had heard this before by a female scholar, and it touched me deeply. But when I heard it kind of flippantly by a male scholar, I was totally shattered, totally shattered. According to the Zohar, when Sarah saw a vision that her husband was going to sacrifice her beloved son, she cried and she died in anguish. I was horrified. Sarah, the mother of the Jewish people, the mother of all comforts, a prophetess of the highest order, died alone of grief and anguish? How could that be? Why would the act of sacrificing his son be considered Abraham's greatest demonstration of faith when it resulted in Sarah's death? Where was the sensitivity to the heart of the feminine? Weren't Sarah's feelings important? Sarah's pain triggered my own pain, my own grief. What happened to Sarah? That same lack of acknowledgement to the heart of the feminine was still happening today for men and women. And I felt, and 
there were times in my life when I felt dishonored because my feelings, my feminine heart, was not respected. And, and I was afraid, actually, then to express what I was feeling because I thought, I'm going to cry. And then once I cry, I'll be marginalized. So I was devastated, but on one hand, I was exhilarated because I realized, ah, there's stories that I don't know in the Bible that are important for me to know as a Jew and as a woman. And I knew right then, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to give voice to these untold stories. And I knew, and I also, without being prideful, a man could not have written this book. It comes out of my feminine heart and my communing with the women in a unique way. I was kind of surprised myself what my experience was. I came home that night and I was crying and I and I was asking myself why am I why am I so devastated? What's what what um, was Sarah feeling in the moments before her death? How does a person actually die of grief? You know that their soul takes off. So I sat with that and I don't claim I'm not a channel. I'm not, but I gained certain insights that night and I started to write. And I had this realization that Sarah's last words were, take me and not my son. Most mothers would say that. And I shared this insight with a Kabbalistic scholar of Yerushalayim and he said, yeah. That's what the Zohar says. So I felt I have to write this book and, and show what biblical women, the untold stories of what they did. And, and what I realized in the writing of the book, which I hadn't appreciated before, that biblical women made independent choices, courageous choices, that were in opposition to their husbands. And they changed the course of history. They changed the world forever because of the choices that they made. And they were uniquely feminine choices. So there's a deep teaching within Judaism that whatever happens to our ancestors happens in every generation. So th the stories are very important and vibrant. They're, these are as soul archetypes that we can experience within ourselves. We can find ourselves in their journeys. And I also realized that biblical women faced most of the challenges that are faced by women in every generation. Abandonment, we'll learn a little bit, Eve, betrayal, Sarah, 
lack of communication, Rebecca. Their lives were not easy, but nevertheless, they serve as models of feminine empowerment for us today. What are, what are we doing time-wise? I forgot to ask for a watch. Oh, good. I forgot to. Okay, good, 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 good. Um, so I, what I did prepare for you, because um, some excerpts from my book, The Secret Legacy, and I'd like to just go briefly over the biblical women, and um, and I have some time. Um, I want to leave a little bit time too for us to have questions, sharing, and see how can we empower the feminine heart and wisdom, this, all these beautiful traits that need to become more dominant in our world. Um, so a little secret about Eve, just, and I hope you'll read my book, but the question is, why did Eve eat from the tree? The Torah tells you you know, she wanted, it, she wanted to be wise. She, she wanted to know good and evil. The Zohar, the Kabbalah, will go into it in a much deeper way and give you a perspective that you wouldn't have otherwise. Without going into it too deeply, but the Adam had really abandoned Eve. That's why the, the Nachash, the serpent, had an opportunity to be with her. Adam was fooling around with Lilith. This is, this is the Kabbalah talking. Eve was alone. How can I get my man back? How can I get him to pay attention to me? So she begins a process of making herself more attractive to Adam to bring him back. And you'll read more about this. And, and I titled Eve, one of her feminine spiritual practices is holy intimacy, is sexuality. And we don't we, we don't often think of the woman as the kind of the, the leader here. But the Bible, the Torah, the Halakha tells you that sexual intimacy is considered more important for a woman than for a man. And so, so there's <coughs> things that are written that kind of came through with Eve in the, in the interview. There's an interview where she gets to talk about why she did what she did and what her message is for, for people today. And so it's about, you know, the feminine practice is about sexuality. According to the Rambam, sexual relations bring wholeness not to us, but it radiates spiritual energy, 
peace and healing to the world. So Judaism has a whole different perspective of sexuality. It's not that we have to become separate and you know we're spiritual and we have to denounce the physical. No. It's through sexuality we do this unification of the physical and the spiritual and we're bringing the wholeness into the world. Um, just briefly about Sarah. You know, there's many things about Sarah, about, you know, how, you know, she gave, you know, she, she gave her handmaiden Hagar to her husband, ultimately was betrayed by both of them, and, and ultimately, you know, there's a question, you know, she ended up sending Ishmael away. Um, you know, in my book, you know, me communing with Sarah, you know, she did it to, and, and, and it's with all of the Midrashim and the, the rabbis, you know, she did it to save the life of her son. Because Ishmael was, the Midrash says, with bow and arrow practice, was aiming to, to kill Yitzhak, Isaac. She had no choice. And, but, so, so she has a message about women being able to have, that the feminine mind has a certain kind of discernment. Abraham wasn't able to see what was happening because he was all love. Sarah could see, this is a dangerous situation here. And I'm going to insist, and God said, you've got to listen to her. And, um, but the, so she demonstrates the quality, which is very much a feminine quality that we need to recognize of discernment. And she, reckon, she, she embodies a woman who can stand her ground doing what she feels is necessary, even if it isn't popular, and even if it's against the will of her husband. The Kabbalah says that the feminine energy is analytical enough to make distinctions and strong enough to, to make necessary boundaries. It's the power of the feminine to discern what needs to be included and assimilated from that which needs to be separated and released from one's contact. Men tend to be more chesedic. That's the male energy, is love. They love. The woman is discerning. And the spiritual practice, did I put this in? That's associated with, oh, it didn't, somehow it didn't make it, is every, every woman in the Bible, in my book, has a unique spiritual practice of the feminine. And Sarah's is candle lighting. She was known for her candles burning the whole week 
And I thought, I have to tell you, I thought this was like a midrash, you know, like it couldn't be, you know. But one day I was having a Shabbat with a person who was a Qigong master. And I lit Shabbos candles, and we were outside, and the candles were flickering. And I said to him, oh, the candles are going to be gone. The light's going to be gone in just a few minutes. And then he jigonged them. At midnight, the candles were still burning. So I said, oh. Maybe that's what was happening with Sarah's candles. Her spiritual energy, her radiance, kept the candles burning all the time. Um, so you can see this with each woman. There's a, she has teachings about the feminine. There's a spiritual practice um, associated with her. And I've been talking so much, and I want to, I don't know what, where we are with time-wise, but I want to open, open the arena for some questions and comments, and, and how can we, and how, and, and I really think men have an important role here as well. They have an important, and the men that are here, the men have the role to support the empowerment of women, and also to be willing to, when necessary, I think we find that men are today also finding that feminine within them. You know, we need to restore the balance, whether it's going to, you know, sometimes I think it's going to come from the men because the women are out there in the corporate world. They want to be men and the women are, and the men are saying, I want to identify and feel that feminine part within me. Um, what we need to is restore the balance in the world. So I open the floor, you know, for some questions and comments about anything that I've said. subject of meditation. Um, when a goal of well, our texts tell us that we want to connect with God and one that take us, that quiet our minds uh, and let us settle down, um, encourage a type of transcendence. What Kabbalistic meditations have you found are transcending inducing to other types of 
focused meditation that keeps your attention on a certain quality that doesn't necessarily promote the transcendence of that quality into a transcendental meditation. Mm. So I'm interested in transcending Kabbalistic meditations as opposed to other types of meditations. What I'd like to say, as an aside, because we're on this topic of masculine and feminine, we have within us masculine and feminine. The masculine wants to transcend this world, wants to be in that place, you know, the light, and, and, and we all want that, men and women. So meditations, you know, and prayers with certain kavanot, and my book, New Age Judaism, has a lot of advanced and beginning meditative practices. Um, feminine meditations, where we women will love, you know, to transcend. I want to dissolve and and experience myself as a part. I was talking about that yesterday as a part of God, not as a separate entity, but I'm a part of God, like the sun and the ray of light. The Alter Rebbe says, no difference. But feminine meditations are, are more focused on the woman wants to experience God in her body. She's the vessel. She wants to feel the presence of God. She wants to feel the Shekhinah in her body, in her life. So it's a different thing. The, the masculine energy wants to, to transcend this world connect with HaKodesh Baruch Hu and do various kavanot. So he experiences freedom. There's a sense of when, when I'm transcending, I'm totally expanded and I'm totally free. And we all want that. But then there's another drive for love. And the feminine has more of a drive for love. And that love is, I want to experience God's love and light in my heart and in my body, which is different. So there's different feminine practices for experiencing God's love and light in my body. So, um, so I think you know, I was blessed. I was to Davin. There's a Kabbalistic minion that meets in the tunnels by the Kotel. And I was blessed to daven there for a few months, meets at four o'clock in the morning. And these men are doing tremendous kavanot. When they would say the words love, ahava, they would there would be a five minute break of silence. So I, as a woman, I'm not doing those kavanot. What I'm doing as a woman, I'm open. <laughs> I'm open to receive all of your kavanot, men. I'm experiencing all this love and light that you're generating by your kavanot. I'm just open, and I'm sitting there and feeling tremendously blessed because I'm 
receiving. The woman is like the receiving and the men is like going beyond bringing the light down. And I'm just like, okay. And when they would, sometimes they would come down, there was only, there was only like four of us women there. And one time the, the head, one of the head guys came down and he saw me and he just like laid his hands like over me and it was like, oh. So that's the difference between the masculine and the feminine. So we, we need the masculine, we need the feminine. Light and vessels, they don't exist well without the other. And tonight I'm going to be doing the most fun workshop which is called Kabbalah of Love and Intimacy, which is the dance of the masculine, the feminine. So a little commercial. Any other, any other questions, comments? How are we doing time-wise? Okay, good. Okay, we have any other? I can talk a little bit more um, about... Huh? I can take if 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 people are interested. I, I put them on your sheets a little bit. But I wanted to, you know, because I can't give it over in an hour. So you have this, and um, the thing that that's interesting about Miriam, you know, we know the story of Miriam. You know how she you know, was the leader of the women. And when they were crossing the Red Sea, she did circle dances. Because the circle is a symbol of the feminine. And if I were to ask you, what are the qualities of the circle? What are the qualities? What would you say? There's no beginning, there's no end. Exactly, no beginning, no end. Everybody's equal. Everybody's equal distance. No hard edges. No hard edges. It's the. It's not masculine energy. Is has lives in time. Moshe says, "I will sing." He's talking about a future time. Miriam says, "I sing." She's present. Feminine energy is always present tense. There's this story um, that I, I may tell tonight. It's about one of my students. She was going on a trip with her husband for vacation, and they're in the car, and he says to her, I can't wait till we get to our destination so our vacation can start. <laughs> and she says, the minute I walked in the car with you, my vacation started. And it's I think it's so beautiful and so illustrative of of the feminine is like present tense. And that was something that Miriam and that's why some I can't remember the name of the Kabbalist said that Miriam's dances reflected a higher spiritual revelation than Moshe. Because the women were dancing in a circle. And it was present tense. And that's, that's w what we're moving towards, is that experience of the presence of God where everybody has equal access 
to God's presence. The oneness of God is, it's not linear, but it's circular. And in this book, I said, Miriam's pray to God and dance every day. When we were living in the Sinai, we had drumming circles almost nightly. I can imagine. And they danced all the time. Many people trivialize dancing, believing it is inferior to serious study. I do not think so. Dance offers a woman or a man in touch with the feminine a deeper connection to the Holy One than analytical study. To dance ecstatically before God is to live life fully. The deepest secrets of God are transmitted to the dancer who knows how to dance in the dance by the divine herself. You will learn all that you need to know to dance, through dance. You will learn how to surrender authentically from the heart and most importantly, embody the shlema. Women need to remember to give themselves time to sing and dance <coughs> with each other for it is there that they will find inspiration. If we can sing, dance and play the tambourine and drum in good times and in challenging times, we can go forward in our life. So we have time, we have these spiritual practices as women that take time and we need to spend time communing with our heart and um, so that the balance and men need to support and, and if necessary, fill in that, that space of the feminine. So the balance between the masculine and the feminine can be restored and the moon will shine like the sun. And in the sheep, you'll understand why it couldn't happen, why it had to go through this process. You know, why, why it couldn't just happen that everything was perfect. There's a place in this world, though, where the moon and the sun both are open. Are open. That it's that it's light all the time. Right, right. So we have that already on this earth. Well, we have the sun is shining. One of the, one of the things that it says in the Talmud, that the moon, when God's trying to appease the moon because her light was diminished, God says, well, you can shine during the day and at the night. And, and the moon says, well, what good is it? It's what good is my light in the in the daytime? Because it's out the outshone by the moon. So, but but I, but what I'm I'm saying is that even now we have places on Earth that where the moon shines. If if you're just saying it should be dark out now because it's ten o'clock at night or three o'clock in the morning that we already have that here. It, it's available. Well, the moon is shining. Where the, where the moon is shining. Right. But, um, so, so I think what you're saying um, 
is a plus because we already, it's available on this earth right now. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think what we are in the process right now, because the rise of the, of the feminine, you know, the rise, the moon is a metaphor and it's referring to the rise of the feminine. And I think women are in a very critical time. Do they do they want to um, do they want to embrace the feminine, or do they want to embrace the masculine? And they can be very successful embracing the masculine, but then the balance is not restored between the masculine and the feminine. So, anyway, I thank you. This is the nice to. I usually don't give lectures, so I I'm, I talked a lot. <laughs> I like meditation, but thank you. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetemidrash.org and donating to VBM to support meaningful Jewish education in the greater Phoenix Jewish community, indeed all around the country and the world. Thank you so much for listening.